NBAs in digital transformation, the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software, and how to create a realistic digital transformation implementation plan. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 122 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello and welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. This is the podcast that covers everything related to digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy size of transformation. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host today. I'm also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And you can find new episodes of this podcast every week on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, where it streams every Wednesday. You can also find the audio podcast platform version of the show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, podcast, etc. Whatever audio podcast platform you listen on, you can find us there. So be sure to look us up there and subscribe. A uh, great show planned for you today. I'll be doing the solo today. Uh, Kyla Cheatham is out on medical leave. She had a, an unfortunate minor accident that has taken her out of commission here today, although she has provided some good input on topics that we're going to cover here today, and we wish her a speedy recovery in the meantime. But today we're going to cover a few things. First of all, we're going to get into some questions and answers from the audience, uh, as we typically do. The only difference is I'll be pulling them uh, manually from some of my social media channels versus uh, Kyla is usually a little bit more uh, presentation friendly in her presentation of the questions by pulling it from the question jar. So we won't have that today. I'll just be pulling it from my phone. It'll be real simple here today. Uh, we'll cover some of the questions that audience members have had for us here over the last few days. And then in the opening segment, we'll also get into uh, my attempt to provide you a 15-minute MBA in digital transformation. I'm going to cover three topics in particular that uh, are going to be relevant to you if you're looking for sort of a crash course, master's in business administration within the world of digital transformation. We'll talk a little bit about the theory of constraints, McKinsey's 7S model, and a digital strategy framework. So we're going to cover those three things in the opening segment to provide a 15-minute MBA in digital transformation, or at least get you started on the uh, digital transformation journey there. And then later in the show, we are going to have our first guest on the show to talk about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. So we're going to talk about the intersection of an older legacy technology in ERP software and how that intersects and collides with artificial intelligence, which is a more emerging, more modern technology. How are those two things coming together? What are the opportunities to leverage both? And joining me in that conversation is going to be uh, Sagiv Greenspan, who is the CEO of a company called Priority Software. He'll be joining me from Tel Aviv, Israel here today. So we'll look forward to the conversation with Sagiv later in the show. And then last but not least, we're going to play you a clip from my YouTube channel. It's a uh, about a 20-minute clip that gets into how to create a realistic digital transformation and software implementation plan. So it's a, it's a good whiteboard session that, that just sort of unpacks some of the different dynamics and variables you need to think about as you define your implementation plan. So it'll really build on that 
crash course MBA topic we'll talk about in the opening segment, and we'll sort of dive into more detail in terms of how you can execute via a realistic implementation plan later in the show. So all that being said, uh, I've got a great, great show for you. We're excited to get into some of the guests, but let's uh, first, before we bring on our guests, let's get into some of the the questions and answers uh, or the questions from the audience, and I'll do my best to answer these, these solo. And the first question we had from YouTube, or this is a question we received from YouTube here recently that I think is a good one to sort of back up and, and get back to basics on some basic definitional or definition types of things. And that is a question on YouTube that was, what is manufacturing ERP software? So this was a response or a question uh, tagged to one of my videos that gives a top 10 ranking of the top 10 ERP systems within the manufacturing space. So the question came from that video, which is, okay, I saw your top 10 list, but what exactly is a manufacturing ERP system? And I think this is a great question that's actually going to lead into another question from another audience member uh, that's somewhat relevant uh, and related to this whole idea of industry-specific solutions. And manufacturing is one area of the ERP space where there has been uh, traditionally a lot of ERP software options, largely because when ERP systems were being built in the first iterations of ERP systems back in the 80s and then even into the 90s, were emerging in the marketplace, many of those systems were focused on manufacturing environments. So you had software vendors back in the day, like Bond, for example, was a pretty big deal back in the 80s and 90s. Um, SAP S4 HANA is a more recent version of, of SAP's flagship product, but SAP was around back in the 80s and 90s as well. And both of those vendors are examples of software solutions that sort of grew up in the manufacturing space, and they built solutions that were specific to manufacturing. And the reason this is important and worth just noting is because no matter what industry you're in, whether you're in manufacturing or any other industry, you really want to be thinking about what, what industry-specific capabilities your software vendor is providing you. So I mentioned SAP. I mentioned Bond, which Bond is becoming somewhat obsolete. That's being discontinued, and Infor owns Bond now, and they've replaced Bond with some of their flagship products like CloudSuite and Infor M3. But there's other providers out there that are providing – really deep manufacturing um, functionality and capability within ERP software. So organizations or vendors such as Epicor Software is one example, uh, Plex Systems, Decom, Acumatica. Those are just a couple examples of maybe smaller, lesser known ERP systems, but they're ERP systems that focus fairly exclusively on manufacturing and distribution. And the reason this is so important in manufacturing and distribution is because manufacturing is fairly complex. You need to have a bill of materials to be able to put together the recipe, if you will, of how you're going to put together different raw materials to create your finished product. And that recipe, that bill of materials needs to trace back to all your demand planning, your uh, procurement, your manufacturing planning, the shop floor scheduling, ultimately your warehouse management, everything needs to tie back to that. So there's some unique functionality that if you go out and buy just a generic ERP system, that isn't specialized in manufacturing or doesn't have those manufacturing capabilities, uh, chances are pretty high you're going to run into trouble. So that's why you want to look for specific industry solutions that can help you through your transformation in a way that provides functionality and capabilities that are unique to your industry and specific to your industry as well. So, and by the way, if you want to check out our top 10 manufacturing ERP systems or any of our top 10 ERP rankings, which is an independent ranking we we uh, publish for all different types of systems. 
if you go to our website, and actually I'm going to include, there's a link in the description field for this podcast episode. Just scroll down to the description field. You'll see a link for what we call the 2023 Digital Transformation Report. In that report, you'll see a number of different rankings for manufacturing ERP as well as other uh, types of ERP systems as well if you're interested in learning more about that. So great question. Thank you for for asking that. And it sort of leads into a, another question. This is also from YouTube. Uh, different video that this is in, in a reference to. And this, this um, question comes from Timothy on YouTube, and he posted this question on a video called The Pros and Cons of Vanilla Software Versus Customized ERP Software. And uh, it's, it's a video that just came out about a, a couple weeks ago, and it's done well. I mean, it's something that's of interest to uh, the audience that I published it to. And Tim has a question here that says, Hi, Eric. Thank you for consistently de- delivering high-value content. Your videos always give me new insights that are top of mind for the partners we serve. Your two main points, your two main cons to standard software, one is change management and two, lack of fit. I believe the two cons you laid out are real problems for software packages that are designed for broader verticals of business. However, there may be solutions that bring those customization practices into industry-specific software packages. For example, our organization is purpose-built for security and audiovisual system integration partners, allowing us to produce repeatable processes and reduce customization needs. We've also acquired a consulting company with dedicated focus on these industries. We believe that industry-specific consulting allows us to speak the same language, mitigate change management challenges. How do you qualify the software packages you recommend, and are there opportunities to expand third stage's quiver? So I'm not going to answer the question directly, at least that last part. That's, a, that's an offline conversation that, that Timothy, you and I can have about how third stage can become more aware of your industry-specific solution and make sure we're aware of where that might make the most sense for us to recommend it to our clients. But what I wanted to do is really just sort of call out or pull out from your question some important points here, which are that functional fit that you might be looking for in your industry or even within your industry, you might have some unique nuances or unique competitive differentiators that your other industry peers do not have. But regardless of the situation, you want to make sure you're looking at all of your options for technology because there are sort of the one-size-fits-all answers out there. You have your SAPs of the world, your Oracle, Fusion, Microsoft D365, et cetera. And those are good examples, certainly. They could be good examples or or good uh, options for your organization. But there are other industry-specific solutions out there. We just talked about manufacturing a moment ago, but there's also other types of solutions that focus on specific industries. So just to give you an example, I mentioned Epicor. Epicor is a good example of a modern ERP system or ERP vendor that provides manufacturing and distribution-specific capabilities. So they've really designed their solution to fit very well with a lot of manufacturing and distribution providers. In other industries like professional services, financial services, for example, there's a product out there called Unit 4. Unit 4 is not trying to be everything to everyone. They're pretty specialized and focused on financial and professional services. Another example is IFS, the European-based software provider that has clients all over the world, and they tend to focus on organizations that are heavy into field services and mobile workforce management, uh, companies that are in industries such as telecommunications or energy and utilities, maybe some construction as well. So organizations that have that need to manage crews and trucks and inventory that are dispersed uh, geographically. IFS is a great, great example of that. And then if you dig deep into the, the Microsoft Dynamics ecosystem and all the different VARs that are out there within the Microsoft Dynamics space, 
you'll find a lot of different VARs and resellers. They're also referred to as ISVs or independent service or independent software vendors that have taken the Microsoft D365-based product and they've customized it for specific industries. So, for example, there's a product out there called Just Food, and it's a it's a product and a vendor that built a food and a food manufacturing distribution based solution that plays to all the nuances and regulatory needs of the food manufacturing industry, but it's built on the Microsoft D365 platform. So you can go out and buy Just Food that ERP system, and it's really Microsoft D365, but it's a customized version that was built just for that industry. So that's one of the unique things that Microsoft Dynamics does is they allow their ecosystem to do that, and they've opened up their architecture and made it easy for third parties to do that. Um, Just Food, by the way, was acquired by a company called Aptian. Um, there's a they're they're a sort of a tier two ERP software vendor that has gone out and acquired a bunch of different uh, software providers. I think CDC Software, if you remember them, they were acquired by by Aptian as as was Just Food. So those are just a few examples. There's a lot of them out there, but those are a few examples of industry-specific solutions that might provide you better capabilities than if you were to try and go down the route of a one-size-fits-all or a more generic uh, type of solution. So great question and, and things to consider and keep in mind as you think about uh, the different options you have in the marketplace. Another uh, comment I had, this is actually a, it's, it's a comment that came from a video I posted to, to my YouTube Shorts account, which is short, basically short 60-second videos, still on my YouTube channel, but it's in the shorts uh, segment of my channel. And in that video, I was talking about how misalignment and internal misalignment is one of the main reasons why so many transformations fail. And this person, uh, Amar, on YouTube made the comment that no wonder two-thirds of all digital transformations fail. So he was really underscoring or highlighting uh, just in a real quick video where I talk about how important it is to have alignment as a team, because if you don't have alignment, you have misalignment, and the misalignment creates headwinds and tension in your attempts to move forward in your digital transformation. So uh, that is, in fact, a big reason why so many digital transformations fail. So Amar is correct in that comment and in that uh, comment on the on the YouTube channel or on the YouTube video. So you know, misalignment is arguably. I always I always struggle with this. I always struggle with pinpointing the number one reason why projects fail. But if I really dig deep and go back to the root causes of what causes other symptoms that oftentimes are blamed for failure, misalignment is one of those things. If, if you're misaligned, that usually creates other symptoms that make it look like the symptoms are the real problem, but really the root cause is you're not, you're not aligned as a team. A uh, good example of what happens or a dynamic we see there is that when you're misaligned as a team, decision-making gets slower, um, you don't have a clear vision, you typically the project team doesn't have the same sense of direction as they would with a more aligned organization. So misalignment can create a lot of downstream problems, a lot of change management issues, a lot of business process issues, a lot of vision and strategy sorts of issues. Um, so uh, it's a very good point that you have here, Amar, that uh, misalignment is a key reason why two-thirds or more of digital transformations fail. And then the last question we'll get to here today before we shift gears and, and get into our, our uh, MBA, our 15-minute uh, flyover MBA in digital transformation program here we'll talk about in this podcast. Um, this comment is from uh, 
Trilock, I believe. It's either Trilock or Trilock, I believe, on YouTube. And he makes a comment that says, very informative. I'm keen, I'm, I am keen to know how does one start from the start, the digital thinking process for traditional brick-and-mortar firms. And this is a great question because there's plenty of technology out there, right, that will help you do that. I mean, if you want to go find technology that's going to help you digitize yourself and move into a digital future, there's plenty of technology out there. I don't think that's the problem. You, you can go find any number of technologies that are going to allow you to do that. But the problem is if you're a traditional brick-and-mortar firm or you're a well-established organization that's been around for decades, if not over a century, if you're family-owned, multi-generational, if you're a government entity that's somewhat constrained by different stakeholders and regulatory uh, challenges and whatnot, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that can hold you back to where technology alone is not going to solve the problem for you. And really so much of this comes back to creating a culture that enables digital transformation and, and enables a digital, you know, true digital enterprise. And so to do that, I'd say, yes, you can start looking at technologies, but I think this person, he doesn't say it in his comment, but it sounds like he knows there's something more than just technology in order to reach that, that sort of digital future you're trying to get to. And so you really need to think through, you know, what is it you need to do to change your processes, to change your people and to change your culture to align with that future state you're trying to get to. And it starts with really just defining in more detail what it is you're trying to accomplish culturally. So for example, if you're trying to become more innovative or more flexible, um, more collaborative, whatever it is you're trying to do, you want to make sure, first of all, you define those things clearly, and then you define a plan of culturally, how are we going to move that direction? Yes, we can put new tools in place that allow us to do any of those things I just mentioned, innovation, flexibility, um, that sort of thing, uh, collaboration, tools, there's tools out there that are going to allow you to do that. But the question then becomes, well, okay, the tools are there, but how do we get people to think differently, start to operate differently? And the way we do that is we change our business processes, we change our people, the way we train people, the way we measure people, and we also change the culture overall. And there's a there's a whole cultural framework that we use within our, our team here at Third Stage to help our clients through that process. But that's sort of a summary of it. Um, and in fact, stay tuned until after the break because one of the MBA topics we're going to cover after the break is going to be a McKinsey 7S model, which if you're not familiar with it, don't worry, I'll explain it. I'll show you a visual of it. But culture is one of those components that you need to make sure you have in place in order to be successful in moving forward with your, your digital ambitions going forward. So great questions. Thank you to everyone who's provided those questions and comments on our various social media accounts. And again, if you follow me on YouTube or on LinkedIn or on Twitter, um, be sure to drop in any of my videos, any of the content, any of my posts on those platforms. You can drop a question in there, and then Kyler and I uh, on this podcast will pull from those questions and comments. Um, you can also leave questions and comments for us in the uh, questions of this, of this podcast as well. So please feel free to drop it wherever you'd like in any of the social media channels that are connected to myself or to Third Stage Consulting, and we watch those constantly. So Thank you, everyone, for those questions, and we'll get to more questions next week, as we always do. So uh, we're going to shift gears, though, move out of Q&A mode and get into uh, sort of a – I'm going to try and – I'm going to take a first pass at this. I've never done this before, but I'm going to try and do a 15-minute attempt at giving you an MBA, sort of a crash course MBA in digital transformation. We sort of picked out three things that I think are very relevant to anyone who's going through a transformation and sort of that elevated higher level of education that you might need uh, to, to augment whatever skill set and background you already have. 
We're going to talk about theory of constraints. We're going to talk about McKinsey 7S model, and we're going to talk about the third stage digital strategy framework. Those three things together combined will at least get you started down the path of at least feeling like you have an MBA digital transformation. I can't tell you I'm going to certify you or it's an accredited certification by a, uh, an accredited higher education uh, institution, but I can tell you it's coming from uh, the combination of some academic models that, that I learned uh, throughout my career uh, and in my MBA program, but combined with some real-world experience here in digital transformation. So stay tuned. We're going to get to that MBA in digital transformation here in just a moment. And then later on the show, we'll have our first guest on, who is Sagiv Greenspan, CEO of Priority Software. He'll be on talking about the future of AI in ERP software. So that's something he and I are going to dive into later in the show. And then last but not least, stay tuned to the end of the show because we're going to have in our last segment, we'll talk about how to create a realistic digital transformation and software implementation plan. So we're, we'll sort of take some of these digital strategy concepts we're going to talk about right after the break. And then later in the show, we'll unpack it even more get into how you can create a more realistic action plan, a more realistic implementation plan to help you through that transformation. So stick around for that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but in the meantime, uh, stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. My name is Eric Kimberling, your host here today, as well as the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And you can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, where it streams every Wednesday morning, U.S. time, afternoon, and evening uh, throughout the rest of the world. Um, you can also find audio podcast versions of this show on Google, Amazon, Spotify, Apple podcast, and any audio podcast platform you might listen on. You can find this podcast there. So be sure to check us out and subscribe there. So we're going to shift gears a bit. And I want to talk uh, a little bit about uh, this concept of if I were to pick three things that you should know to sort of have a I'll call it a fake MBA because this is not a real MBA. I have to be clear about that. You're not getting an MBA, uh, unfortunately, simply by listening to this podcast. Although, although I will argue that you're probably getting more value. You could be getting more value out of this podcast, and I hope you're getting more value out of this podcast than you might get uh, from a really expensive uh, MBA program. Uh, but what I thought I'd do is just pull out a, a few concepts that I thought are very relevant. What's interesting about this is the whole uh, this whole thread was not my idea. Um, it actually was Kyler, my co-host, who I mentioned before, who – uh, suggested because she wasn't able to be here in today's recording due to, due to a medical issue, unexpected. Um, she suggested this article about theory of constraints by uh, there's a, a concept called theory of constraints from an author, an academic called uh, Eli Goldratt, and uh, it's actually a book. It's really interesting because it's a book I read when I was in graduate school. So when I was getting my MBA, 
I read a book called The Goal. And uh, The Goal, it's sort of like a, it's a fable. So it's a, it's a story. It's a fictitious story, but it applies a lot of really, really important and helpful concepts into the fable or the story. So it's it's really it's an easier read than a than a pure academic book, and that's why I liked it because it just tells a story, but you're learning as you as the story unfolds. And uh, in fact, uh, just as a a little uh, side note, my aspiration is to someday write a fable about digital transformation, and I've got some ideas rattling rattling around in my head. My first book is coming out this summer, but it is not a fable. It's a it's a more uh, you know just more of a best practice guide, if you will. But uh, that's neither here nor there neither here nor there. But the interesting thing about it is that I was recently cleaning out my, um, my boxes of books and we're doing some renovation in our house and had to clean up some stuff. And I came across my, all my books from when I was getting my master's and I had, you know, probably 30 books in there, textbooks and all different kinds of books. But the one that stood out, the one that I grabbed and pulled out, cause I want to read it again is the goal. So I have it sitting on my desk at home in my home office. No big deal. Then I'm at a conference last week and someone asked me a question when I'm speaking at this conference of what would you recommend to someone who's sort of getting started in digital transformation, they don't know a lot about it, they don't know a lot about supply chain management, how could they learn more just to sort of get started? And I said, read The Goal by Eli Goldratt. And then just coincidentally, I haven't even told Kyler the story. Today, this morning, before I go to film today's episode, she says, hey, you know, as you know, I had this medical issue, I'm not going to be able to record today. But here's kind of an outline of things that I suggest talking about. And one of them was uh, theory of Constraints by Eli Goldratt. So it was really interesting, weird coincidence just in the last like two weeks. It's the third time that this has come up. So I think it's the universe trying to tell me something that maybe maybe we should talk more about it. Uh, and maybe I should go back and read the book. But um, in lieu of reading the book with you right now, which would be super boring to hear me read the book to you, I'm going to give you like just a quick overview of the book. And this is an article that she, that Kyler found that's on uh, the Forbes, the Forbes website, the Forbes Technical Council. And in this, uh, article, which is called Using Gold Rat's Theory of Constraints for Digital Transformation, a Case Study. This uh, author is Vladimir Drogan, who's part of the Forbes Council's member. And in this article, he talks about how he, in his career, has sold CRM software to automotive dealerships. And he was talking about some of the, how the theory of constraints applies to automotive um, dealerships. And he also talks about how technology and the theory of constraints could be used to help them through the digital transformation. So the problem statement that he points out here is that there were some pain points with dealerships throughout the world. And those, those dealerships at the time, and this was about 10 years ago, I think he went through this process originally, but he found that a lot of dealerships didn't have visibility into the sales process. Uh, prospects and customers were slipping through the cracks. There was high customer and sales talent churn, and there's bad customer experience with salespeople. So those are just a few of the problem statements and something that he was using technology to try to improve. And so he talks about how they, they went out and looked for um, sort of the ideal solution. They were looking for a CRM solution or some sort of sales automation to help fix some of these problems that dealerships were having. And so he talks about Goldratt's theory of constraints and how it can be used to identify a solution that doesn't yet exist, that doesn't yet exist, but will perform the function that's needed seamlessly. And so there's five different operating or five different repeating steps in the theory of constraints that need to happen. First is identify the constraint. And in this case, he talks about how the constraint that they were trying to deal with wasn't just that there was the symptom, which was the problem, those pain points I just mentioned of, of the bad experience with salespeople, customers falling through the cracks, et cetera. 
he was trying to get to the root cause of what was the real problem. And one of the root causes was that salespeople were using their personal cell phones to do most of their selling. I think it was 80% sellers ran over 80% of their customer calls from their personal cell phones, which, you know, that's not surprising. That's human nature. You're going to gravitate to a mobile device that you have on you versus going back inside, you know, into the office to use a, to use a landline. And that's what I do. Quite frankly, I use a personal cell phone. I don't even have a landline here at my desk. But at the time, this is 10 years ago when people were still using landlines, but they also had mobile phones. So he talked about how they decided that the the problem was that they needed to get rid of that situation where people are using their personal cell phones, not because they didn't want people using their phones, but because they had the problem where people were having these communications and discussions with potential uh, customers and the... Uh, the information will get lost. You know, one person had that in their head, what was d discussed and talked about. They were on their private cell phone. And then if they leave the company or leave the dealership, which is very common in, in the auto dealership industry, there's a lot of turnover, a lot of attrition. They would take that book of business with them. They had all the customer contact information in their cell phones. No one at the dealership would necessarily know what discussions happened or that these potential customers even existed. So the challenge that he he talks about here is how to how to first of all identify that as a constraint in in this case it was the dealers or the uh, sales reps using their own personal cell phones not using any sort of centralized communication mechanism that could be um, sort of centralized to, to track that information better and then they talked about exploiting the constraint so instead of just taking away cell phones and saying you need to use landlines they gave them uh, free cell phones basically they said these are the phones you're going to use you're not going to use your personal one you're going to use these cell phones you can use your personal ones at home or whatever, but they basically said whenever you're at work, you're using these cell phones. And um, so that allowed them to have sort of a, a CRM system that could track phone calls and that sort of thing. So now that they had more centralized visibility, at the very least, to who was making the conversations and who these prospects, who these prospective customers were. So that's number two is exploiting the constraint and really looking at the constraint, which is people want to use cell phones and then really exploiting it and saying, okay, we're going to let you use cell phones, but we're going to do it in a way that enables our business objectives. Then the third step was to subordinate everything to the constraint. So they created some APIs to integrate the cell phones back to the CRM system, which back you know 10 years ago was fairly unique. Right now, that's not a big deal. That's pretty common. But 10 years ago, that was a pretty innovative solution. And then the fourth step was to elevate the constraint, which is where they really elevated and raised the issue across the entire dealership so that they could all see that uh, there was a need for this across more than one dealership. And they also elevated to the point where they also started to introduce AI or artificial intelligence to start to capture information about what conversations were happening, what the sales opportunities were, and it started to, to uh, create digital uh, versions of those conversations so it could be a little bit more centralized. And then the fifth step was to identify additional constraints. So this is where you, you know, you start with that one solution and then you start to move out and start to expand and look at other opportunities to eliminate that constraint and fix the bottleneck, fix the problem. So this is all, you know, it's a great case study. It sort of brings to life the book, The Goal by Eli, Eli Goldratt. And uh, that, that is a book I highly recommend, by the way, if you uh, are interested in, in sort of a crash course MBA uh, or even if you're getting an MBA and your program does not have you reading that book, I would highly encourage it. Like I said, it's an easy read. It's something you can actually read and enjoy it, and while at the same time you're learning uh, because it is written in a fable format. So that's the first thing I'd suggest 
in, in my little MBA course on uh, digital transformation that I'm trying out here with you all on this podcast. The second thing I want to talk about uh, is something called McKinsey's 7S model. And for those of you that are watching this podcast on one of the video platforms, uh, I'm going to share my screen with you. And if you're listening on, on an audio podcast platform, um, I will verbalize this to the best of my ability. But I want to show you this uh, graphic here, which is uh, from Oxford College of Marketing. I, I figured I'd pull it from Oxford to make it feel a little bit more legitimate, um, to make you feel like you're actually getting an MBA from an established uh, institution. Um, but uh, this this McKinsey 7S model is something I remember learning and really enjoying the idea of it when I was getting my MBA 25 years ago. And the reason this is so important, I think this is hugely important to digital transformations. In fact, if I had to pick one framework that every digital transformation team member should understand. It has nothing to do with technology. I wouldn't say go out and learn a bunch of new techie type stuff. I wouldn't even say go out and learn how to process re-engineer. The first thing I would do is say, go out and learn and apply this McKinsey 7S model. Because to me, this is a really important strategic framework to ensure that your project is on track and that your overall transformation is aligned with your overall goals and objectives. And I'm not going to dive into this in a huge amount of detail, but I do have a video on my YouTube channel. If you go to go to my YouTube channel and just search McKinsey, um, this should be the first one that comes up. It's called uh, Intro to McKinsey 7S Model. And it's about a 15-minute video where I dive in through uh, a bit more detail, each of these seven S's of the McKinsey model, and then I describe how to how to ensure that it's integrated or, or aligned. And as I mentioned earlier in this podcast episode – one of the key reasons why so many digital transformations fail is because of misalignment. So organizations as a team are not on the same page with where this transformation is going and how it ties to a broader set of goals and objectives for the organization. Now, the McKinsey 7S model, the beauty of it is it takes that one step further and starts to look at the seven S's. And the seven S's, if you aren't watching and if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast, the seven S's are these things. It's strategy, structure, systems. It's your, so systems would be your, your IT stuff, your, your technology systems, your staff, your style, wouldn't style sort of like culture in some ways and, and sort of the feel of the organization, uh, skills. So what competencies you have as an organization. And then the seventh thing is uh, shared values, which is another component of culture. And what the 7S model does is says, when you are going through a digital transformation, or even when you're just assessing the health of an organization, and the ability of an organization to accomplish its higher level uh, set of strategies, goals, and objectives, you have to ensure that they, the, these seven S's are aligned. And one decision you make in one area or one of the S's needs to be aligned with other parts of the S. So for example, if you were to say uh, on the system side, we're going to put in a, um, we're going to put in a big, massive, uh, consolidated, rigid ERP system to standardize our operations, to give us, you know, centralized visibility into operations, give us a one way of doing business. That's great. It's fair enough. But if on the other side of it, you look at shared values and style, those are two other S's. If, if your shared values and style are to be extremely flexible and nimble, customer focused, entrepreneurial, and now you're saying we're going to introduce systems that do something counter other than that, then we've got a problem or we've got a decision to make. The decision is, do we change our shared values and style? And if so, how are we going to do that? Or we say, um, are we going to take a different approach to our systems? Maybe we need a system that better fits who it is who we are as an organization or in terms of our style and shared values. So that's just one really quick microcosm of an example of how the 7S model can be applied 
to a digital strategy or digital transformation to ensure that you're aligned, that you're on the same page going forward. Um, by the way, stick around because later in the show, the third segment of this podcast, I'm going to play you a video from my YouTube channel where I talk about how to create a realistic digital transformation plan. And I sort of get into some of this a little bit more detail, but it's more at the tactical, how to plan for an implementation sort of detail. Um, but it does tie back to the 7S model. So 7S model is something that's very important. I highly encourage you to check that out or be, be familiar with it and think about your transformation as you go through one uh, in the context of that 7S model. Now, the, uh, the third thing I'll show you, and this is, uh, again, an, another visual, but I will verbalize it for those of you that are listening uh, on the audio versions of the show. And this is digital strategy. And so um, we talked about theory of constraints. We talked about McKinsey 7S model. If I had to pick a third thing that is really important for you to, to know and to start to understand as a foundation for your digital transformation journey, I'd say this digital strategy framework is one. And this is a framework that we created here at Third Stage. Uh, it, it gets into the different work streams of how, um, how different work streams support a digital strategy and what your digital strategy should uncover or unpack. So in this, you can see, and I'm not going to go through each of these boxes. I know if you're watching this on a mobile device, this might be hard to read. And if, certainly if you're listening to the audio-only podcast platform, um, you may not be able to read it at all. But if you go to the links below in the description fields of this podcast, there is a link to something called the Digital Strategy Playbook. And in that Digital Strategy Playbook, it, it includes this graphic, among others, and it just talks about and unpacks in more detail some of our digital strategy frameworks that you can use within your organization. So I encourage you to download this uh, there. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll sort of highlight uh, at a high level what some of these things are. First, you have business process management. So every digital strategy needs to define what the future state business processes are going to be and how that compares to our current state and what the impacts of the organization and the impacts of the operations are going to be. You also need the organizational change piece of it. That's the second major work stream within digital strategy. That's where we get into the organizational impact, the organizational assessment of who we are today, who we are trying to become, and ultimately what is that change management strategy and plan that's going to allow us to get there. You have enterprise applications, which is the third piece of digital strategy, and this is the actual technology that you would consider. It might be a short list of different options that you might consider as a way to create that digital environment or that digital transformation you're going for. And then you have uh, solution architecture. How do the different systems tie together? How does data flow? What are the integration points? Um, how are we going to ensure that we have a unified, integrated set of technologies that allows us to get through our transformation? And then last, really the, the last major one is business intelligence and analytics. How are we going to use data, reporting, BI, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics? How are we going to use that sort of capability to make our business better and to run better? And then finally, sort of running in parallel is a sixth bonus uh, aspect, I'd call it, of digital strategy, which is the project quality assurance. And that's something that starts during digital strategy, continues all the way through implementation. And that's something you want to make sure you have in place from the very beginning as you start your, your digital strategy and defining it. So this is a really high-level framework. Um, I know I've go gone through it at, at a pretty high level. But again, if you go to the links below, you can find uh, the, the digital strategy playbook that dives into this in more detail. I also have a video on my YouTube channel that I published probably two to three weeks before this episode. Um, so I'd say sometime in the month of May, which is about as helpful as I can be right at this moment. Sometime in the month of May of 2023, 
you'll find a video on my channel that's a digital strategy methodology deep dive. It dives into each of these um, different components as well as other components of digital strategy in a lot more detail. So you can check out that video as well. But in the meantime, I thought I'd share with you, share with you this third framework in my little crash course MBA here, uh, in addition to theory of constraints and McKinsey 7S model. So that's my attempt to teach you everything you need to know in, in lieu of an MBA in about 15 minutes. Uh, hopefully that's helped and uh, you know, feel free to reach out if you want more, more advice or any other uh, feedback on these or any other concepts that might help you through your digital transformation. So uh, we're gonna shift gears though that I'll be saying I could spend the entire episode just talking about those three things, which uh, part of me wishes uh, I had time to do, but I, I don't. So I need to get to our, our first guest. And our first guest is going to be Sagiv Greenspan, who's the CEO of Priority Software. He's going to join me here in just a moment to talk about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. So it's really that intersection of old ERP software and technology with more emerging and modern technology with artificial intelligence. How are those two things coming together and what's it doing to the world of ERP software and digital transformation in general? We're going to have him on the show here in just a moment. And then later in the show, as I mentioned before, we'll, uh, after Sagiv is on the show, we're going to get into how to create an implementation plan for your digital transformation. So be sure to stick around for that. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Just tell me what you've If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the people, process, technology, and strategy sides of change. You can find new episodes every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And my name is Eric Kimberling, again, CEO of Third Stage Consulting Group. We're an independent technology agnostic consulting firm that helps clients through their digital transformation journeys. So you can learn more about us at thirdstage-consulting.com. Be sure to check out all of our thought leadership and content there, as well as on our YouTube channels as well. So our next guest, or our first guest, I should say, is Sagiv Greenspan, who's joining us all the way from Tel Aviv, Israel. At least in my case, it's all the way from Tel Aviv. To some of you, he's a lot closer to you than he is to me. I'm here in the United States today. He's in Tel Aviv, Israel. That's the beauty of technology here. We, we are joined from uh, across continents, across time zones, here to talk about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. And uh, this is a great topic. I'm super excited for it. Um, Sagiv's a great guy, really interesting person, leads a, a high-growth software, ERP software provider based in Israel, uh, but with clients throughout the world. I'll let him describe his, his himself and his company here in just a moment, uh, but we're excited to have him on the show to talk about the future of AI in ERP software. So with all that being said, Sagiv, welcome to the show. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm indeed indeed from Israel. Good deal. Well, you're the CEO of Priority Software, which I did mention, but maybe tell us a little bit about your background. Maybe we'll start off. Let's talk about Priority Software in just a moment. But first, maybe talk about your background and upbringing. How'd you grow up in this space? Tell us a little bit about you. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you. Um, so um, I'm originally from Israel. I have been in the enterprise software industry for almost 30 years in multiple industries, in telecom, in fintech, and in others. Um, I lived outside of uh, Israel for a good portion of my career, two years in Belgium, and then 14 years in different parts in the U.S., in North Carolina, in Georgia, in Illinois. Uh, I actually started my uh, my journey as a technologist. Uh, I learned math and computer science. I started as a developer, team leader, development manager. But in the last 20 years or so, I'm in the, this triangle of technology, business, customers, uh, managed organizations, anywhere from few people all the way to uh, more than 2,000 people. Um, and um, and in the last uh, two, a little, a little bit more of two years, um, I'm in this uh, ERP space. But um, but uh, the, you know, enterprise software is what I do for a living for uh, for a long time. Great. So you've been in the space for quite some time. Uh, about this, you I think you and I have probably started around the same time, or or uh, certainly have been doing this for a long time as well. Um, tell us a little bit about Priority Software. I, I always semi-joke with uh, people that Priority is one of those software companies that's well-established, has a good client base, but it's a name that a lot of people haven't heard of. So tell us a little bit about Priority Software and what you guys do. Okay. Uh, so uh, we are basically a portfolio of business application platforms. So we help. we are helping customers go through their digital journey. Uh, we have ERP in multiple verticals. We are uh, very well established in manufacturing, technology companies, construction companies, pharmaceutical companies. I would say that in Israel, we are probably, I'll say in modesty, we are the most dominant uh, ERP player. Uh, we are in business for more than 30 years. And in general, and we are uh, installed today in um, 40, 40 countries. Uh, we have system integrators in all of them, anywhere from, you know, uh, Colombia in uh, South America, definitely U.S., Europe, all the way to Australia and, uh, and New Zealand. Um, we have roughly 15,000 uh, customers. Um, and we are specializing, besides the ERP, we have also... Um, uh, three three other verticals that uh, that we're spe specializing in. Uh, one is uh, retail. In retail, we provide end-to-end -end retail management system as a unified commerce into the ERP. So anywhere from the POS and mobile POS and self-service kiosk and uh, the backend of uh, of uh, e-commerce website as an omni-channel throughout the whole retail management which is, you know, pricing, promotions, uh, replenishment, uh, if it's a uh, fashion, managed collections, etc., in a unified system into, uh, into the ERP. So that's the retail. The, the other one is hospitality. So we have what is called PMS. Uh, I know it's uh, 
maybe a problematic acronym, but it's property management system, uh, which is managing the hotel itself, check in, check out, uh, the gateway into a um, ordering websites such as booking.com, Expedia, etc. cetera, uh, also connected into the ERP. And the last one is education. Uh, and we do school management system and we have about 60% of, uh, of the market share in, uh, in Israel. So in general, ERP, retail, uh, hospitality, education, these are, uh, this is uh, kind of uh, what we do in general. Maybe, you know, uh, uh, two more sentences about our strategy. Uh, our strategy is what we call as a service, as a platform and as a portfolio. Uh, as, a, as a service is obviously our SaaS, uh, our SaaS strategy. Uh, the platform uh, is, you know, uh, what we consider to be the essence of our system, which is the flexibility, the openness, uh, strong UX, UI, uh, cloud and functionality. Um, and the platform uh, is also how we allow uh, our customers to basically adjust the system to, uh, to their needs. Um, right. So... Okay. That's in general, in general, we believe in providing strong engines and tools and not just, you know, a bunch of features. So that's how we look at it. So 30 years in the space um, as, as a software provider and in a lot of different diversified industry verticals that you're um, playing in right now or that you're focused on. So I imagine this topic is something that you're, you're seeing a, a wide spectrum of application or use cases as it relates to artificial intelligence. So I'm really looking forward to chatting about sort of where we are today and where we're headed in the future with the future of AI within uh, ERP systems. And before I get to some of the questions I have, and thank you for that that background and introduction, uh, Sigiv, um, just to look to the audience here and where everyone's joining from today, we've got a, a good turnout here today from all over the place, everywhere from Ridgewood, Ridgewood New, New Jersey in the United States, Quebec, Canada, Dallas, Texas in the US, Morocco, Belgium, Dubai, San Diego, California, India, uh, hi, Wycombe, uh, England, New Jersey, India, North Carolina, Singapore, Israel, Denver, Colorado. A uh, lot of good representation from really all over the world. Uh, um, so I appreciate wow. everyone joining from wherever you're joining from today. Thank you for being here and for dropping that in the chat. And uh, again, any questions you have as it relates to AI in the world of ERP software, please feel free to drop it in the chat. We're going to get to uh, some of your questions. And I already see some questions coming in that we're I, I know we'll get to here uh, in just a moment. But I guess just to start then, maybe just to set the context for this this whole topic of AI within ERP software, Sigiv, how is AI in general, you know, how is AI changing ERP systems? You and I have been doing this for decades. We've seen the evolutions of uh, ERP systems over the years. How is AI different? How is it changing the world of ERP software? So I think that the, the AI is getting into, uh, you know, it changes uh, that... Uh, that the ERP is going through. And together with the changes of the ERP, the users are also uh, are changing with it. Uh, today, we are looking, if, if traditionally we used to look at, the, at users are the traditional desktop people, finance people, uh, logistic, logistics people that are sitting in front of the, of the desktop. So today we are looking at traditional users and uh, we are looking at new sets of users, and I'll touch it in a minute. I think that in general, when we uh, talk about the traditional uh, users, 
they do have today new expectations. And the new expectations is that they want to shy away or they think they can shy away from Sisyphean backend work uh, to do things that are more considered, I'll call them front-end innovation. Hmm. So if I, if I need to look at how is AI changing them, I would probably characterize them into maybe four different groups, how, they, how it affects them. The effectiveness, um, how does it affect their experience, uh, what can it provide them in terms of prediction, and how it can even help things like sustainability. Um, and maybe I'll say a few words about each one. So when we talk sure. about effectiveness, uh, we usually think about you know things like repetitive tasks uh, that can be done today automatically. Mm. Um, so uh, things like um, you know uh, things that are happening again and again in ERP, it's very common that you have things that you need to do over and over again. You know this can be this can be solved uh, by AI and not just by recording things, but by doing automatic corrections for stuff that the system can learn how to correct things that are uh, that are Sisyphean and uh, and do them and do them more effectively. Uh, things like sophisticated reasoning or conclusions uh, can be done uh, by um, by AI, such as you know uh, optimizing all kinds of uh, of all kinds of uh, processes, suggesting next best offer or next best actions, um, and things like that. So this is definitely things that can help the effectiveness of each user. And when you look at it. it in a more in a wider way how can you um, move uh, people from doing this work into things that you know human needs to do and not you know and whatever can be replaced by by the ERP will be replaced by the ERP right. when you look about uh, when you uh, look at experience then how can AI help with the personalization and personalization can be today, and we do it already, uh, based on user behavior and, and to improve. So for instance, uh, we in priority, uh, each user, the system learns how, uh, how he behaves in this, uh, how he behaves with his uh, desktop ERP. And then after a couple of weeks, the system will say, uh, will pop up and say, you know, I, I've seen that there are fields that you're using and fields that are, you are not using or in a certain order. Uh, would you mind if we reorder your screen based on uh, on your behavior and it will reorganize the, the complete uh, UI of the ERP? So this is helping with personalization, helping with, the, with his experience. Um, when you talk, when we talk about prediction, how can the system help uh, predict specific, you know, business needs, such as a prediction of churn uh, of customers based on uh, things that are happening behind the screen that it's very sometimes very difficult to uh, to see when you are not looking at a wide range of data, like the system can do, and humans need to spend a lot of uh, time and effort in order to do it. Um, and the last, uh, the last uh, example uh, when I mentioned sustainability, 
uh, how can the system uh, optimize uh, different things in order to improve sustainability. For instance, let's say that uh, there, there is a company that is uh, has trucks. How can you optimize uh, their uh, routes in order to uh, create more effectiveness and uh, less, you know, gas pollutions, etc.? How do you uh, how do you improve your in how do you optimize your inventory in order not to order stuff that you don't need? Stuff like this. These are all things that are helping business, but can also ha help, you know, sustainability for that matter. Right, and that's such a. You, you touched on some trends that are so important to the industry right now, or that are important to a lot of organizations in terms of sustainability and the way that we use technology and the value we get out of it. And it's, it's just interesting to hear you describe the way that AI is changing ERP systems um, in, in terms of the, not only the types of users that are using the system, but also how they're using the system and how they're interfacing with it. And, it's, and it seems like AI is really a way for us to finally start to get more of that value that's has that's always been the potential of ERP software, but we've always sort of fallen short of that ability to really maximize value and get usage out of this robust technology that's really always been there. But now AI allows us to capitalize on it and exploit the technology in a different way than we haven't been able to in the past. Yeah, you know, you always need to think about uh, technology as a whole, but uh, definitely AI. How can you make it practical? How can you bring real value? And that's always something that we, uh, when a new when we come across a new technology, it's not just about you know an engineering adventure. Is uh, how do you really make practical use out of it? How do you improve the life of your uh, of your users? And definitely, when you go to a new type of user, such as the company suppliers, the company customers, etc., drivers, where warehouse workers, how do you optimize the work? At the end of the day, it helps the company be more effective, but it also helps the life of the of each each and every user to be uh, more effective and more efficient in what he what he does. Right, right, and it and allows you to interact with technology in a, in an easier way. Because you think about the old, the really old ERP technology back when you had the the transaction codes. You didn't even have this is before user interface and the the you know, the easy menu-driven options or the easier menu-driven options. Now you've got AI as a, as a new way that's sort of like a predecessor to um, the GUI or, or sort of the menu-driven approach to ERP. Now you can interact with the ERP system in a way that's more user-friendly, it seems. Yeah, uh, it's more user-friendly uh, user for sure. And uh, yeah, it's uh, really an evolution from something that was really, you know, hard-coded into things that were more, let's call it rule-based driven into uh, AI, which is basically a system that is learning and know how to uh, continuously improve uh, improve the life, the life of the users uh, rather than having somebody, you know, type in or have developers have to improve it all the time. The system really knows how to each time make it a little more, uh, more efficient based on based on the user behavior and based on what he needs based on data that flow into uh, into the system so these are all things that are you know injected into a uh, into the backend and the and the backend knows how to make a better use of them and improve it all the time not just you know once a year or once every two years but all the time there are slight improvement based on the ai models 
We're here in the midst of a conversation with Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software, talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. We've got a lot more to cover, but first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And uh, be sure to share this podcast with anyone that you think might be interested, a colleague, friend, peer, client, customer, whatever you think. If you've got someone who might appreciate this content, we'd love to get the word out to more people. So we appreciate in advance you sharing uh, links to this video, either the video or audio versions uh, with whoever you uh, feel appropriate. So we're going to jump back into the conversation here with... Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. That's interesting. Now, you, you give a few operational examples of how AI can help make someone's job more efficient operationally. But Peter on LinkedIn has a question that's interesting, which is, do you think AI is going to help automate financial management as well? Do you, do you see examples of AI or do you see emerging trends where AI might be able to help in financial management as well as some of your core operations like the truck routing example that you gave? Yes, absolutely. I think that uh, I think that in many in many uh, areas uh, they also uh, affect uh, affect financial financial uh, uh, financial management uh, and uh, they can go into things like uh, how do you better um plan your resources uh, and resources can be headcount resources can be things that you uh, you know purchasing stuff like this how do you do it based on you know on types like seasonality or uh, things that are happening that have you know all kinds of reasoning that you you don't always see that will help you plan better and then know if we take the purchasing how do you uh, purchase better how do you replenish your inventory in a more effective way all of these are affecting you know the financial management of uh, of, uh, of of your company of your business um right. so there are many many aspects on uh, you know as we said things like uh, truck uh, things like uh, optimizing inventory, uh, optimizing route of trucks. Uh, these are all things that uh, that help you better plan and better execution. That are of course translated into a um, into better financial management. Right. Yeah. Great point. And then uh, Larissa actually has a question. Larissa from LinkedIn has a question about priority software in general. 
Um, but what what platform is priority written on? And I know you've got multiple solutions, so you might have multiple answers here. But what what platform is it written on, and who hosts uh, priority? So uh, so priority is a, is a SaaS uh, is a SaaS platform. Uh, so we are running uh, mostly on AWS. Uh, we do have some uh, some on-prem from uh, from older uh, older generation, but all of our newer are uh, um, are uh, uh, run on uh, on AWS. Uh, by the way, when I do think when I do uh, talk about SaaS, it's not just about where is it hosted; it's about the end-to-end services that we provide from monitoring security upgrades etc so the end-to-end SaaS um, that's uh, that's what we're uh, we're running Uh, most of it is uh, is written in uh, java java and net mostly Um, so um, okay so it sort of leads to another question that that i had for you um you know in terms of uh not just priority software and where it is hosted, but if we look at cloud solutions in general, including priority, you're, you just mentioned that you're a SaaS provider. Um, you have a cloud, a hosted cloud solution that that customers can leverage. How does cloud software in general, how does that enable or does it enable artificial intelligence? In other words, is, is the these are two parallel concepts here. You have AI that's emerging. Um, cloud is becoming more established. And, and obviously that's more the mainstream direction that, a lot of software vendors are going right now, but are the are the two related? Does cloud enable AI, and if so, how? So, in general, maybe one word about cloud, and then we'll talk about how does uh, cloud uh, um, interact with the AI and what is the connection between them. So, uh, cloud in general enabled uh, things that was harder to implement on uh, on-prem systems. Uh, things like monitoring that I uh, that I mentioned, things like automatic scalability. Uh, this is critical because you know if you remember, uh, you know in the old days when you needed to uh, scale, you needed to uh, order you know hardware. Usually it took six months until it came, and another two months until it was installed, and then you needed to plan uh, you know way way in advance. And if you had a a season that is stronger than others, then you're you are usually stuck. Today, in a click of a button, you can uh, scale your system, you can double your hardware, you can triple your hardware, as uh, as quickly and as much as as much as you need. Uh, security definitely uh, um, made made it uh, more more available. Uh, and probably as important is uh, the ability to connect to external system uh, to complement your solutions, uh, whether it's uh, other software that are complementing your uh, your ERP, uh, all the way to connectivity to things like sensors that you can in online read all kinds of sensors and connect to them and uh, you know enhance the data that uh, helps uh, that help you in order to make a business decision in a much easier way. So if I connect it into, a, if I connect this, uh, these topics into the AI, basically uh, as much data as you, uh, as you have, the more, uh, the richer your AI models can get. 
So if we, we gave the example of, uh, of sensors, then the sensors that you connect to, uh, whether it's weather sensors or, um, or meters that you are connecting and uh, getting data or machines that you are collecting in real-time data in order to, uh, to enhance the data, then your AI models uh, can, uh, can do it. So let's even take the example that we gave about uh, uh, optimizing routes of, uh, of trucks. Um, then if you are connected to things like weather, to traffic, stuff like this, then you can do it in, uh, can do it in real time. Um, if uh, you are optimizing um, uh, things like uh, machinery or uh, production lines, etc., you can optimize it. Uh, your AI models can take into account real-time data and then do some recalculations and do everything in real time. So basically, cloud, the fact that it enhanced the, con the connectivity uh, into, uh, uh, into different, different, uh, uh, different types of uh, data allows also the AI to be more sophisticated and allow it to, uh, to uh, correct and learn in real time what's happening and provide better analysis. Right. It sort of provides that the consolidation, the connectivity that you mentioned, the integration, it, it provides easier access to data that in the past may have been sort of buried in different parts of your organization or buried in different on-prem systems. And now you're sort of bringing that to the surface uh, in a way that can be used to support AI. Exactly. Um, Will from LinkedIn adds a, a comment here related to what you just said, Sagiv, which is moving to the cloud is the first logical step to unlock the potential of tools like AI and machine learning. So it's a, it's a great point. Um, I have a two part, there's actually two questions I'm going to try and combine into one here just because they're very similar, but they're, they're a little bit different. Um, let me see if I can find it here. Bear with me. Um, I may have to come back to it. Um, okay. Here's, here's one that's very, it's vendor specific, but I'm going to sort of turn it into a broader question here. Um, and, and I can comment on the vendor specific part of it leading into the, the broader question, but this is, uh, the question here is this might've been covered already, which it has not, we have not covered this yet, but it has not been covered, but SAP versus Microsoft in terms of AI innovation, aside from predictive analytics, surely Microsoft is way ahead of SAP in light of open AI and copilot on the horizon. Um, and I'll just comment there real quick, quickly. I think that Microsoft is probably further ahead on more of the consumer facing, side of AI, but SAP has actually made good strides on more of the, call it the, the, the true enterprise application side of things in terms of uh, machine learning within some of the planning and forecasting tools and whatnot. They have a long ways to go, don't get me wrong, but I think Microsoft just has more mainstream visibility right now just because of the ChatGPT investment and their, their investment in, in OpenAI and Copilot and whatnot. So uh, I, think, I think the key message here is to say that, you know, my, my thought is that software vendors in general are moving pretty heavily towards AI and machine learning. I mean, I don't, I don't know of a software vendor that's not thinking about it or trying to figure out how to integrate um, technology within that. Um, sort of leads to another question, oh, which- Maybe, maybe uh, Eric, one, one comment about that. I think that uh, goes into uh, the area uh, of what is sometimes called as conversational AI. 
Mm. So uh, when you are talking about, uh, you know, the broader uh, type of users in ERP, uh, whether these are your suppliers, your customers, etc., then conversational AI such as chat GPT, etc., I think is helping a lot with that. So, uh, for instance, one thing that we have done uh, is we connect uh, chat GPT uh, into our ERP. And then basically mm. you can basically type all kinds of uh, questions. The, the AIs know how to interpret the, the intent of the question and the context of the question. And then it knows how to translate it into uh, API calls into the ERP. So let's take an example. You can ask, uh, let's assume that you are a, a B2B organization that is selling equipment. You can ask the system through ChatGPT, how many orders above um, 500K did I sell or this uh, salesperson uh, sold uh, over the last three months? And then the system knows how to translate, uh, send, send an API request to the system, send it back and tells you, um, this, this, this is, is the answer. So mm. conversational AI is definitely something that is uh, Microsoft has, uh, has done a very nice job. Uh, but since ChatGPT is kind of an open to, uh, to everyone, then we could, we could connect priority into through ChatGPT into our system and provide this type of conversational AI, mostly to, you know, customers, customer, customers of our customers. So provide it as a, let's call it a, a customer portal to, a, to the ERP. That's one of the things that we are, uh, we are launching these days. Interesting. Yeah, that's super. And that's a, that's a great point of distinction, the conversational AI versus other, other types of AI. That's a great, really good point of clarification. Um, it sort of leads to another question. I'm not going to show it on the screen just because it's a longer question. I don't think I can show the whole thing, but this is from Laik on LinkedIn and, and, Laik says, Eric, one point I'd like to bring up is that while AI is undoubtedly the new buzzword and certainly has its allure, I feel that the integration of such technology into ERP systems, especially the larger ones, still has a considerable distance to cover. The question that arises then is what strategies can be employed to expedite this transition within an organization? And you just gave an example that I'm wondering, is, is that part of an answer to this, to this question here? as far as how we might use ChatGPT within existing or legacy ERP systems, or how, how can we, in the short term, allow AI to sort of catch up? You know, how can we use AI in the way it, it can be used while the vendors catch up in, in embedding AI into their, their software suite? So I think, I think it's, a, it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, point and question. I think that when you look at ERP, um, ERP, as I said, that the ERP is changing. Uh, ERP is no longer a one monolithic system that is uh, that is answering every need of the organization. Today, ERP can be what is what is usually called as composable ERP. ERP can be um, I'll call it bro broken apart into multiple questions that are sometimes multiple divisions that have different needs. Sometimes there are complementing uh, systems into the ERP. Uh, for instance, um, like retail management system can sit on top of uh, ERP on, on of uh, financial of SAP uh, or WMS can complement other uh, ERP. So I think that uh, 
even if you have an SAP or an Oracle or any other system uh, on the back end, then there are sometimes different needs that you can complement different other components from other vendors and then enhance it with AI on those complementing components. So it doesn't mean that everything should come necessarily from one vendor. Everything should be one monolith. You can uh, choose how to, how to create, let's call it a, a best of breed, even if you have you know, a legacy system that doesn't provide AI capabilities. That's a great, that's a great point. We're here in the midst of a conversation with Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software, talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And uh, be sure to share this podcast with anyone that you think might be interested, a colleague, friend, peer, client, customer, whatever you think. If you've got someone who might appreciate this content, we'd love to get the word out to more people. So we appreciate in advance you sharing uh, links to this video, either the video or audio versions uh, with whoever you uh, feel appropriate. So we're going to jump back into the conversation here with Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. Will on LinkedIn just had a comment as you were saying that, Sagiv, that I think is very relevant, which is there There are many smaller companies with specialized offerings like Proton AI that can bolt onto your ERP to help with sales specifically in that case. But I think you know where he's going and where I think you just alluded to with the whole best of breed uh, concept, it seems like AI is really opening up more options. You know, You don't have to have, in the past, a lot of larger organizations, for example, felt like they had to have SAP or they had to have Microsoft or Oracle, one of these really big vendors that could do all these different things. But now what you're seeing with AI is it's sort of leveling the playing field in some ways and allowing to get better value or more value out of either smaller, best of breed, or even older legacy ERP systems. Is that something you're, you're seeing in the market as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we do see uh, companies... Uh, that are taking uh, parts and pieces and maybe they will even leave the finance on one system, but many other solutions. We see it very strongly in, in the hospitality space. We see it very strongly on the retail management. We see it in different, different companies that have special needs that they will start taking pieces like logistics, like things, you know, they will take it to other systems. Two challengers, I'll call it like us, 
that are more agile, that are providing uh, more sophisticated uh, pieces of the ERP. They will take them into uh, other systems, and then they will decide what to do with the, with their legacy. But this might take you know few years until they uh, they replace their ERP or even leave it as is, but take uh, different components and provide the, the holistic solution that they really need in order to run the, their business in the agility that they think they need. Right. So yeah, absolutely. We see there's a trend definitely in the last, let's call it uh, three, four years. That's uh, that's definitely a trend we're seeing all over. Right, right. Makes a lot of sense. And Rachel on LinkedIn had a question uh, a few minutes ago that it's very specific, but I think it's an interesting one um, because it sort of shows how AI can be used in so many different ways. But Rachel's question is, what is the best first project thing that can be implemented into demand planning or forecasting using AI? I don't know. Do you have an answer for that? Or do you have an example in mind of where you've mm -hmm. seen or you think you could see AI be used with your customers or elsewhere uh, for planning and forecasting? So, um, yes, we see we see a lot of uh, um, a lot of uh, needs like this being implemented with the with the AI. Uh, in the area of inventory planning, uh, replenishment, uh, whether it's retail or even you know m manufacturing, so yes, purchasing, inventory planning, um, these are the areas that uh, we we see we see it happening uh, more and more, and uh, I would say that they are even becoming quite common. Of you know uh, how do you how do you uh, see how do you um, Take into considerations, uh, you know, the speed, the speed of sales, the common, the seasonality, things like this, and how do you do? How do they affect your uh, your planning ahead, your inventory replenishment, purchasing, etc.? This is, uh, I think, that that's probably a a, a good place to start uh, thinking about it because it also has uh, quite an impact on your financials. Uh, on uh, even on the storage that you need, so it has an immediate effect on on your day to day, and that's why it uh, it became quite common to uh, to do it. So mm. that's an example. What about data and security? Um, here's a question uh, from Ryan on LinkedIn. And it's not going to let me show the whole thing. So I'm actually going to hide it and just read it. Um, but Ryan says, it seems like just about anyone that can make an AI product for their business is. My mind keeps going to, if we are looking to connect potentially hundreds or thousands of AI or machine learning systems, how are we making sure that that data and information that's getting passed from one AI system to another is clean and accurate when there's so many actors in the space? And how is it protected from a security perspective? So maybe just to back up a second, you know, how does, when we look at data, data management, data cleanliness, data security, all the data piece of it, as well as the security, the cybersecurity piece of it. How do we potentially need to rethink our data management security strategies to, to accommodate this emergence of AI? So data is indeed a, a sensitive, a sensitive topic and it has, you know, even multiple dimensions of, uh, of sensitivity, uh, things anywhere from, you know, privacy uh, into a, a, what I usually call is data fencing. How do you make sure that one one uh, data from one customer will not link to uh, to others? And uh, 
So this is something that uh, we take very seriously, definitely in uh, SaaS-related systems. It's something that uh, we must protect the data in the most uh, sensitive way. Um, there are many standards around it, things like uh, ISO um, uh, 27001, etc., things like SOC 1, SOC 2, etc. So we have to uh, to uh, adhere to the highest highest standards. Um, some of it is because some of our customers uh, de demand it. Um, you know, for instance, uh, in Israel there is a, a project called Nimbus that is government grade uh, with the very high um, uh, standards that uh, that we need that we need to uh, to comply. So. Um, it's a, it's a topic by itself, and maybe there we can spend a, a whole hour about how do we uh, protect our data. I will say that in uh, that the cloud, um, to some extent, made it more you know uh, sensitive. But on the other hand, um, we have much more control on how do we protect the data that we have in the system rather than each company trying to protect their own uh, their own uh, on-premise systems so we look at it holistically we have you know a whole security team we have what is called SOC which is 24/7 security operation center that are monitoring from a security standpoint uh, our uh, our data all the time and they have the the best the best tools there are in order to protect it. So mm -hmm. that's that's one thing. Uh, when we talk about data, when we think about data uh, in general, you know, uh, data is basically something that, uh, for instance, we collect all the time. But then the question is, what do you do out of it? How do you provide the data uh, into your AI, into your uh, users, etc.? How do you make uh, you know real use out of it? Um, you know, we used to think when we talked about data, we always used to think about uh, what is today called the descriptive. You get analytics, you do a uh, report, you get the data, you get a bunch of pages and you start reading, uh, you know, line by line. Uh, so this sometimes is still happening, but there are many more things that you can do today with the with data. Going back to uh, things like, um, you know, uh, like predictive analytics, like prescriptive analytics, et cetera, et cetera. When uh, we're going back to uh, the question that he asked about how do you uh, synchronize between uh, different types of, uh, of AI? So um, when it's your own system, then we know how to uh, uh, synchronize between different AI models and basically send between uh, the engine just the, the, the data that each engine need, needs to know. When you're talking about different AI, uh, different AI models on different systems, then it's getting more tricky. Uh, we do it as part of in integrating with other systems, but I don't think there is a silver bullet to, uh, to all of it. I think each, each one is a case by case. You need to really understand how the models are getting the data, what they are deriving out of it, how does the, the other one that will get the data, what it will do. It's um, it's more complex when these are different vendors and they might use different AI models. Right. And then you have you obviously the data privacy laws that are being enacted in Europe and other parts of the world um, that 
that have to be taken into consideration yeah, as GDPR well. GDPR and uh, all those uh, all those standards that are uh, yeah these are uh, really important and they are being followed very carefully by all of our customers. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So here's a question from from YouTube uh, from BC Systems on YouTube, and this person asked, "Are there any plans for speech driven report generation using AI?" in priority software. And I think this is a great question because not only I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on maybe what priority software can and can do right now, but what are your plans for the future? And do you see that changing as you, as the, as the product evolves? Um, so yeah, definitely, um, <clears throat> definitely, uh, we are, uh, there, there is already practical implementation of speech driven. Uh, mostly we see it in the warehouse, um when uh, when you do have you know uh, people that are working in the warehouse that are uh, you know they need they need their hands free so uh, they are doing all kinds of uh, picking in the warehouse and they need to uh, to um so they they don't have a, you know how to type because they are walking around maybe they have their uh, uh, you know small device uh, hanged but they do need uh, to use their hands in order to uh, to collect uh, merchandise from the from the warehouse so we do see more you know things like uh, pick by voice and stuff like this and this uh, this is where uh, we do see more um more of a you know a speech driven uh, ai bless you um Thank so you. this this is where the the first practical uh, that uh, that we see uh, I think we see it less, as I said, the conversational AI is getting more uh, more practical uh, solution. But usually, you know, when we see it more in the in the uh, newer, you know, uh, generation that are younger than us, um, they type faster than they talk. Uh, so uh, this so that's why we see more conversational AI by typing. We see more uh, speech related AI when it comes to uh, things that people need hands-free, and that's where we see it more. I believe we'll see it more in uh, things like uh, drivers, warehouse. This is where we see it more uh, more practical impl implications of, uh, of AI. Did I answer this question? You did for me. I'll be curious to hear what the, what mm -hmm. the audience thinks, but I, I think that's a, you're, you're hitting on a number of, or you're hitting on the point that AI has really a, almost a limitless use of, opportunity. I mean, there's so many different ways that it could be being used. And I think it can be overwhelming at times. If there's if there's a dark side to this, it's that, you know, I think back to the question that, that someone had on LinkedIn about how do we get started, you know, and I'm going to come back to that question actually in a moment, because there's so much to think about. There's so much pie in the sky possibility, but then you sort of have to bring it back to reality of where we are today. How do we take those first incremental steps to just to start to cherry pick some of those opportunities? We're here in the midst of a conversation with Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations 
through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And uh, be sure to share this podcast with anyone that you think might be interested, a colleague, friend, peer, client, customer, whatever you think. If you've got someone who might appreciate this content, we'd love to get the word out to more people. So we appreciate in advance you sharing uh, links to this video, either the video or audio versions. Uh, with whoever you uh, feel appropriate. So we're going to jump back into the conversation here with Sagiv Greenspan from Priority Software talking about the future of artificial intelligence in ERP software. What about on the development side? This is from uh, Shimi on LinkedIn. Shimi says, can the AI be a tool for developers as well? The question is also because most of the information that exists in the development is in Hebrew. I'm not sure if he's talking about priorities, development uh, documentation, or just whatever uh, code he's working on. Um, so what are your thoughts on AI being used to develop the software and the solutions that we're, we're talking about here today? Do you see that uh, being more important over time? Uh, it's, an in, it's an interesting question. I, uh, I can say that uh, there are, um, you know, there are a lot of developers that are using uh, you know things like chat gpt in order to uh, look for different uh, different questions etc i think that uh, from a developer's perspective i think ai um the will will probably help uh, also in the near future um in order to uh, correct um uh, logic in development so basically ai will uh, will look over what you are developing and do all kinds of, you know, suggestions, corrections, things in order to help you, you know, do, develop faster. Um, so a uh, thing that used to be more, you know, uh, let's call it rule-based will become more AI and will help the effectiveness of the developers. Um, to be honest, we don't see, it, you know, uh, happening these days. Uh, these are more things that um, that we are thinking about that I'm hearing, uh, you know, in the industry. But I think this is, uh, to some extent, lagging uh, after the practical impl implication that we saw that we see in the let's call it in the business space rather than in the development. But I think it's a, it's an interesting question that uh, worth worth thinking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another related comment from YouTube is how to get started, use AI to organize already existing business data into AI ready data. <laughs> so it's a, that was a, a funny, but kind of a true comment that you can use AI to organize the data to help you get ready to use AI in a, in a more robust way, which I hadn't thought of it in that perspective, but that's an interesting comment. Yeah, and uh, I agree. You know, uh, sometimes um, you know when uh, when we start when you start you uh, you know working with AI, 
you do need to uh, reorganize your data in order for your models to know how to uh, um, uh, how to um, uh, process this data in a way that uh, that will match your uh, model. Uh, so you know when we talk about things like uh, supply chain optimization or stuff like this, a suggestion for uh, for pricing. So you need to bring all this data into one place, feed it into your AI models. Um, that you know, so that's definitely something. Sometimes part of the you know initial investment that you need to do in order to uh, work with AI. Right. Now, now, what about other emerging technologies? I want to. I know we've been talking about ERP and AI, but there's other emerging technologies that are also intersecting with ERP software and artificial intelligence. Things like RPA, robotic process automation, intelligent automation, just other emerging tools like that, for example, RPA and automation. How are um, how are those emerging technologies and other emerging technologies enabling better functionality within ERP software, either as it relates to AI or maybe even independently of AI? So I think uh, you mentioned automation. So I think the automation is a, is definitely an interesting topic, um, emerging rapidly. Um, and when you think about you know automation, it also has um, you know many many implications. Some of them are getting um, getting into the AI as well, um, but automations can go. Anything from, you know, um, let's take an example, um, create a shipping document based on every sales order that you get. So uh, these are things that can happen automatically. And instead of people doing the same repetitive job again and again and again, the system can do it automatically. Uh, automa uh, automatic warehouse picking request based on sales order. So there are many things in the ERP space um, that people today are still doing manually when the system uh, know how to uh, how to do it. Mm. When you when you overlay AI on it, then you can um, you know you can make you know these uh, things more sophisticated than just than just a rule. And then you can combine um, then you can combine the AI into the automation and create a, a, a sophisticated automation, I'll call it. Uh, things like email notification based on specific condition. So if it's not with AI, then the conditions are more, let's call it, uh, pre-entered into the system. When it's AI, then you can get the email notification to be, I'll call it, smarter. Um, Things like, you know, calling external system, you know, a production uh, uh, request based on specific uh, orders or slow down production based on, you know, things like, let's say, weather related or other, you know, external conditions. But then you can even, it doesn't need to be inside the ERP, you can also, you know, uh, create um, interfaces request into external system uh, based on it. Even things like you know um, planning uh, shifts of uh, of employees uh, and even sending them you know uh, invitations or 
you know, provide them uh, where, when do they need to come to work based on stuff that are happening in the system. These are all things that can, done, can be done automatically and AI can make them more sophisticated. Let's say uh, we, these are things that we all have today. Uh, auto, automatic uh, fill of values. So, you know, you have a lot of things to do. The, the automation and the, you know, potentially the AI can do, can fill some of the, you have a form with, I don't know, 50 fields. You can uh, fill in three. The system can automatically autofill the, the rest. These are all things that automation um, can help. And as I said, the AI can make them, you know, more, more sophisticated. So uh, these are all two emerging technologies. Can each one run separately or you can combine them and create the sophistication? Hmm. So it almost sounds like AI is, is a sort of a, um, a fuel, adding fuel to a fire of technology that was already there, but now you're adding some fuel to it and, and really exponentially increasing the value you can get out of some of these technological uh, investments. Yes, um, exactly. Again, it, it all, you just need to make sure that you are uh, providing a real value, uh, whether the effectiveness or the experience or whatever, uh, you know, uh, uh, objective you have that you want to achieve. But how do you make it to bring real value and not just uh, for the fun of using AI? Right. It doesn't need well, to be a gimmick. Right. Yeah, exactly. And and I guess, you know, just a sort of a, a question to bring this all together, um, to summarize everything we've talked about, is is you, you look at this emergence of AI and just the evolution of ERP software in general, and it, it can be overwhelming. You know, it, it's sort of like you look at where you are today, and then you look at the possibilities of where technology could take you as an organization. And that gap, that chasm is pretty, pretty big. It can be overwhelming. So what advice would you have for organizations just to get started? How, how can we sort of bring this back to reality of where we are today to help us incrementally get to where, you know, all these, all these grand opportunities that, that we're talking about here today? What are some of the best ways to get started for an organization that isn't, you know, isn't as far along in the journey as, as uh, the technology? You're talking about the journey of, you know, an ERP or a journey of AI or, or both? both just make yeah, both. So I think that in general, when we uh, when we think about you know a, a transformation or a journey of technology of ERP, then you know businesses are in general um, are changing. I would say in many in many cases they are changing rapidly, um, and I think that when you do think about you know uh, about an ERP, uh, I think the wise thing, at least in my mind, is to think about, um, not think about your needs today, but think think about about the, the future. And by the way, when you think about your future, sometimes you don't know how the future is going to look like. So how do you build the infrastructure um, in a way that it will support, you know, continuous changes of your, uh, of your business? How do you have uh, the flexibility that you need? How do you build the right infrastructure that will allow you to change continuously, even if you don't know how it's going to look like? Because when you choose an ERP, when you choose, uh, you know, technology, when you choose, you know, your AI infrastructure, 
you don't know where you're going to be in three years. You definitely don't know how you're going to be, where you're going to be in five or seven years. How do you, how do you select the right tools uh, that will uh, allow you flexibility to adjust uh, to, uh, to your future needs and f- to your future business needs uh, that will allow you not, that you will not have to change technology every three or three years because your system has changed. Sorry, because your business has changed, you're going to need to uh, change your system as well. Right. That's a great point. That's well said. I think looking at where where you could be and really rethinking the the possibilities of where you could take your business with technology, but then you sort of have to back up and back into incrementally, what are the steps we need to take to get there? And that's obviously the million dollar question that needs to be answered as part of your digital strategy and roadmap going forward. All right. Thank you, Sagiv. And thank you to the audience for some great questions. Really appreciate having you all on the show. And uh, Sagiv is a, another first time guest that I'd love to have back on. So hopefully he'll uh, take me up on that offer to be back on the show at some point in the future to talk about maybe AI or maybe we'll talk about something unrelated with something more, uh, something else related to ERP. But either way, uh, very smart guy, interesting guest. And uh, be sure to check out Priority Software if you're not familiar with them. Uh, Third Stage Consulting, my company is not affiliated with them, but they are one of uh, many software providers out there that can help you through your transformation journey. And they're they're one that not everyone knows too. So it's, it's worth checking out your options as you look at uh, different software solutions in the marketplace. So we're going to shift gears here in a moment, and uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to play you a clip from a video from my YouTube channel where I talk about how to create a realistic digital transformation plan. And this dives into more detail, um, sort of unpacking what you might get from a software vendor. Software vendor gives you a proposal and says, we can implement our solution in X number of months or years or whatever it is. But is that realistic? And I want to challenge you to ask some key questions and to really add a grain of salt and a dose of reality to those implementation plans that software vendors and system integrators will typically give you and give you some things to think about and a way to really tailor those sort of generic implementation approaches and plans and tailor it to you as an organization, who you are. And I'm going to ask you some key questions to ask yourselves and ask your teams that'll help you uh, make that decision or help you define a implementation roadmap and plan that's more suitable for your organization. So Stick around. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll, we'll dive into that clip. Uh, but first, we'll take that break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? Then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host today, along with, uh, I'm also the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. We're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. And just building on some of the topics we've talked about so far here in today's episode, 
I wanted to dive in and, and play you a clip of a, of a deeper dive video from my YouTube channel where I whiteboard some things to think about as it relates to how to create a realistic digital transformation plan. And the reason this topic is so important in my mind is because so many software vendors, implementers, and consultants, and system integrators will treat implementation plans and their proposals to you as an organization. They'll, they'll treat their implementation plans as a sort of a one-size-fits-all proposition. They don't necessarily take into consideration your culture, who you are as an organization today, what you're trying to become in the future, how big of a change this is going to be for you based on where you are today versus where you're headed. Some organizations are further along in the journey than others, and those are going to be two different, very, very different implementation plans that need to be tailored for your situation. There's also risk profiles or risk uh, tolerances, I should say. How tolerant is your organization for risk? If you're a low risk tolerant sort of an organization, you're more conservative, you just are going to have a different plan or you should have a different plan than a more, I hate to say progressive, it's not a, a good or bad thing. It's just more a, a more uh, open organization, a company that's used to change, that's been through more change. Maybe it's a younger company, less tenured company, whatever it is, there's different variables that will drive those things that are ultimately going to determine how long your implementation is going to take. So when you're planning for an implementation, you want to make sure that you create a realistic digital transformation plan and that you take into consideration some of the key questions you need to ask yourself in tailoring that plan. So in this video, I unpack some of those things to think about to really get the wheels turning on how you can use some benchmarks that I'll share in the video as far as what the average implementation looks like. But then more importantly, how do we tailor those benchmarks to you and what it is you're trying to accomplish and where you're headed as an organization? And so why don't we roll this clip and then we'll, we'll come back after the fact. It's about a 20-minute clip and in this whiteboard session, we'll, we'll kind of talk through what it takes to create a digital transformation and software implementation plan that's realistic and tailored for your organization. We can make a pretty strong argument that the most important part of any digital transformation is the implementation planning phase. It's that step after you've chosen the technology or technologies you're going to deploy, but it's the step before you actually start deploying. The problem is too many organizations sort of gloss over that step and just jump right into deploying stuff without having taken the time to make sure that they've got a realistic project plan. And like I said at the beginning of this video, more often than not, organizations have unrealistic expectations around their implementation plans. They take too long, they cost too much, they don't deliver the business value that's expected, and quite frankly, this is a big part of why so many digital transformations fail. So what I want to do today is talk about some of the things to be aware of as you go through your implementation plan and also provide you some guidance and tips on how to create a realistic implementation plan that's actually manageable. Now, for more information about implementation planning and other best practices related to digital transformation, I encourage you to download our ebook called Lessons from a Thousand Digital Transformations. And this provides 20 lessons and best practices that we learned by helping all these different organizations throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys, not just in terms of the implementation planning, but also the execution and the strategy behind it as well. So be sure to check out the link in the description field below to download that book, as well as other resources that I've included as well. Now, when putting together an implementation plan, one of the first things you can do that's very effective is to look at implementation benchmarks. I'm not talking about anecdotal examples of an example here or there, or that one company that did something one time. I'm talking about a subset of data that looks at broad cross-sections of organizations that have been through digital transformations. And I'm going to share with you a few of those best practices, which by the way, you can find these benchmarks in our digital transformation report. 
I'm going to include a link to that in the description field below. So be sure to check that out because that digital transformation report has benchmarks and metrics around what the average implementation looks like. So I'm going to share a few of those with you here today, but you can get more of them in the book that you can download below. So let's look at what some of the benchmarks are. And this is data that we've gathered and been studying for years now. In fact, over 10 years, we've been capturing and recording this data, really studying and understanding the industry. These are benchmarks that are not best practice necessarily. They're not necessarily best case scenarios, but it's the average. It's what happens in the average organization, how much time and money they spend on their transformations. Reason this is so important is because if we have these benchmarks, we can use this as sort of a gut check to see if we're in the ballpark of what the average organization experiences. So the first thing is if we look at implementation timeline, the average implementation for any sort of ERP project or digital transformation is typically 18 months. And again, this is an average. So a large multinational organization is probably gonna take three to four years or more. A smaller to mid-sized organization might only take nine to 12 months. But the average for organizations across the globe, across industries, across different sizes is 18 months. The average implementation cost, there's two different ways to look at it. I'll share with you two different metrics here. One is two to 3% of company revenue or your annual turnover however you describe it, is spent on a transformation. Sometimes this can be as high as three to 4% for a smaller organization because you have less scale, less economies of scale with the cost the way it's distributed. But the average is somewhere between two and 3% of annual revenue. So another way to look at this is if you're a $100 million company, you're likely to spend two to $3 million total on your total cost of ownership for your transformation. Again, some organizations are gonna be higher than that. Some are gonna be lower. A lot of it depends on scope. A lot of it depends on the complexity of your business. A lot of it depends on where you're moving from today versus where you're headed in the future. A lot of different variables can factor into this. But again, this is meant to give you a ballpark of what the average looks like. Another average cost metric that you can look at that could be very helpful is to look at three to four times your technology cost. So in other words, whatever you're spending on software, take three to four times that, and that's typically your total cost of ownership. Now this metric, keep in mind, we've been doing this for 10, 12 years or more that we've been studying this data. This has been a pretty steady metric, but one thing that's changing is the subscription model that most vendors are moving towards is throwing this number off. This was actually largely based on the, the old on-prem model. So what you need to do is, in some cases, translate the subscription model into what it would be in an on-premise situation and multiply it by three to four times, and that'll give you your total cost of ownership that may be spread out over multiple years, but that's gonna be the total cost that most organizations are investing in their technology. And then just one other metric I'll share that's just worth noting, it doesn't necessarily affect your implementation plan itself, but it should affect your understanding of what risks you face by not having a solid implementation plan is the fact that somewhere between 50 to 52% of organizations that go through a digital transformation have some sort of material operational disruption. And that's really important. I'm gonna clarify that here, that this is a material disruption to their operations at the time of go live. This means that it wasn't just a little bit trickier than normal, or they had some learning curve issues or growing pains to get used to the software. These are major disruptions, like they couldn't ship product couldn't close the books, couldn't run payroll, something of that nature, ranging from anywhere from two to four weeks onto several months, depending on how significant the disruption was. 
So that's something to be aware of as well, is you want to have a solid implementation plan so that you're mitigating risk and doing things in a way that doesn't lead you to, into the path of being one of these 50 to 52% of organizations that have a material operational disruption. So these are some benchmarks that you can use as a starting point just to get a view of a back of the envelope number of what your implementation duration and cost might be. And what we typically do with clients is we'll take these metrics and we'll apply them or move them up or down depending on complexity, size, industry, technology they're deploying, all these different things that factor in, but at least gives you a starting point on what your overall duration might be. So in addition to these metrics here, the next step I typically recommend is now you look at what does the implementation itself actually look like? And I'm gonna sketch out what a software vendor will typically tell you what an implementation is gonna look like, what some of the major steps are. And then I'm gonna talk about what the other things are that can typically extend that duration. So let's start with what the software vendors are typically going to suggest or propose to you as an organization. Typically, they're going to suggest a process where you'll have your, it's called design and requirements phase. That's usually your first phase of a project. And I'm not going to get into the whole waterfall versus agile discussion here because that's a whole nother conversation. Another video that I've got on my YouTube channel covers that in more detail. I'm going to act as though this is sort of a hybrid approach. We're going to do sort of waterfall, sort of agile, and let's figure out what that duration looks like and how it's going to apply to you. So design requirements typically happens early on. Then you have your, your software build, which is usually the next phase. Then you have test. Um, then you have training. And then that leads you to go live way over here. So let's assume here, I'm going to take this average over here. Let's assume that this proposal you get from your software vendor is that we can do this implementation here in 18 months. So we've got an 18 month process right here, according to your, to your vendor. And again, that number is going to vary. You, you probably have a proposal that has a different number. We see some clients that get proposals as low as three months, some that are as high as three to four years. So it really just depends. But most of the time, it's safe to assume that your software vendor is going to be underestimating, not because they're bad people or they don't know what they're doing, but as we'll talk about in a minute, because there's a lot of stuff missing from the overall project right here, or the overall project plan. So the first step then is to compare whatever's being proposed here, including the dollars, you know, whatever the budget is, from your software vendor and compare it to some of these metrics. If you're somewhere in the general ballpark, you might be relatively close, but I'd venture to say that whatever proposal you're looking at is probably a lot lower what you're getting proposed here versus what the average metric shows. And so what I want to do next is talk about what are some of the missing components that influence how long and how much money it's really going to take to implement your digital transformation. Okay, we're here playing you a clip of how to create a realistic digital transformation and implementation plan. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. 
Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 122. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. I'm here playing you a video clip from my YouTube channel where I talk about how to create a realistic digital transformation in software implementation plan. Let's jump back into the conversation. So we've got our proposal here from our software vendor. They've given us a duration. They've given us a budget. They've given us some tasks within the plan. Now we ask ourselves, why would this number be so understated? And why are these numbers so much more likely to be higher than these numbers? Well, there's a few reasons for that. It's because there's a lot of things missing from the software vendor's proposed plan. Keep in mind that a software vendor's proposed plan is for one piece of an overall program or one piece of an overall digital transformation. And by the way, it's the other pieces that aren't in the purview of the software vendor that typically drive the most time and cost and heartburn during transformation. But the problem is most organizations don't realize it until they get into the project, then they end up wondering why this timeline doesn't ever materialize or they don't ever get close to this. It's because there's a lot of stuff that fits in the cracks here or that should fit in the cracks that pushes things out. Now, the key to this too, by the way, before I get into what some of those missing components are, is that the sooner you address these things and the more you plan to invest in these additional activities, the less time it's gonna take you. And that's the irony of it all. If you wait until you're halfway or two thirds through the project and then realize, oh wait, I need to invest in activities A, B, and C because it's not in our plan here, by then you've created some massive delays of your project already because you should have been doing those things early on. So what are those things? I'll talk about them right here. One is business process improvement. So I'm gonna represent this by showing you the strain it has on a project plan. So your business process improvement generally is gonna extend beyond this here. You generally, process improvement is gonna push things out quite a bit because what happens is when you get to this phase, when the software vendor and the system integrator come in to define your requirements and start designing software, they need answers right away. They need to know how do you want the software to work and we're gonna build it for you. And yes, there's some limitations based on how the software works, but today's ERP software and digital technologies are so flexible that there's a million different ways you can run your business using the same software. So we need to have a good vision of what our business processes are. If we don't, then what ends up happening is this stage right here ends up getting extended. It takes a lot longer to do this now because we don't have a vision of what we wanna be when we grow up, so therefore this delays the project. Or if for some reason it doesn't delay the project, and this is potentially even worse, is it doesn't delay the project, but they end up just building the software the way they're most comfortable that doesn't fit with your business, which may not delay the project here, but down here, you're gonna run into massive delays because it wasn't built in a way that supports your business and its objectives. Another thing that can push out a project significantly and should be factored into a realistic implementation plan is organizational change management. That's something else that's typically on the critical path. This activity business process, I would say, is somewhat on the critical path, but I'd say it's more of a prerequisite to this phase right here. So a way to view business process would be that this activity should actually be happening right here. And that might extend your duration by say three months. 
and you've got your 18 months here, but it's going to take you three months before you ever start these 18 months to get your business processes figured out, especially if you're trying to standardize your operations, you're trying to act like one company, you want to consolidate, have unified end-to-end -end business processes. You need to take the time to define that up front so that you speed things up here. If you don't take that, say, three months right here to do that, everything gets pushed back. It's sort of like a domino effect that creates even bigger delays. So you're investing a little bit of time and money up here to save a lot more time and money over here. Change management is very similar, although change management is typically happening in parallel. If we wait until right here to do change management, we are almost certainly going to extend the go live significantly because we've had resistance building all along the way. We've had change management issues. We may not see or feel it yet until we get to training, but it has absolutely been developing and percolating. So if we wait until here, it's gonna delay the project even more. But having said that, we want this parallel activity to be starting as early as possible, probably here during the business process phase, the pre-implementation phase, and continuing throughout implementation. And then one more I'll share with you is, I'll call it the non-software technical work stream. And what this is, is this is gonna be things like your data mapping, data migration, your architecture, how the different modules, different systems tie together, how we're going to integrate different systems. That all needs to have a very clear plan and vision that starts up here before you ever start designing and building and testing. Reason for that is because in parallel with this, you're going to have to be doing a lot of those activities to make sure you're cleaning up data, you're mapping data, you're building the integrations, you're testing the integration when you get to the test phase, you're doing a number of those different things that are maybe outside the scope of a single ERP or a single software, but it's very relevant to an overall digital transformation. So the reason I point out these missing components is because these things put strains on the overall duration, especially when we don't do them at the right time or place and we don't invest the right resources and money in those activities. I already talked about how what happens with business process and some of the tech work streams, if you don't do that work up front, and if you don't start your change management work up front, Yes, you might spend a little bit more time up front before you ever start the clock running on the 18 months here, but if you don't do that, it's probably gonna extend it by a lot more than three months in that example of taking the three months up front. So these are just a few examples of how those strains happen. So now what we need to do is figure out how do we get a realistic plan now based on everything I've just mapped out here. So the next step now is we need to take this proposal that we get from the software vendor or vendors. Now we need to wrap in all this other stuff. So we need an overall program plan, not just a project plan for one work stream, but a program plan that includes all this stuff. And generally where we start, rather than trying to guess what all this is gonna be when we don't really know at the point you've made a decision around what technology you're deploying, we don't really know how long this is gonna take. Yes, we've got benchmarks here. Yes, we can make some initial assumptions or guesses around whether or not this is realistic, we don't really know. So how do we know? How do we find out what a realistic plan is? Well, the first thing I'd say is this phase right here, I'm out of room here, but this phase, we'll call it the pre-implementation planning. Pre-implementation planning is the most important phase to accurately determine how long the rest of this is gonna take. And generally for most of our mid-sized to larger organizations, this is a three to six month process of doing all the stuff I mentioned here, defining your future state target operating model, your future state organizational design, doing some initial change impact, doing an organizational readiness assessment, 
creating a technology roadmap in terms of how different technologies are going to fit together, how they're going to integrate, how the data is going to migrate, how systems are going to be decommissioned, how and when are we going to decommission systems, what are we going to do in the interim while we decommission certain systems and start to bring on new systems, do we build interim interface points, all that stuff you've got to have figured out and no answers to before you can really determine what this is going to be. So the time and money you spend up here during pre-implementation planning is absolutely going to give you a lot more clarity and confidence in this plan. And then once you do that, then you can start to really map this out and say, okay, yes, the vendor thinks it's going to be 18 months, but based on what we know about how much we're changing our processes and how big of a change it is to our organization, how complex we are as an organization, the way we've staffed the project and the available resources internally, that gives us some variables that we can use to flex this up or down in terms of duration and cost. So this is where you start to take some of the science and convert it into art or to augment and add in art to how long a project is going to take. And you start to work through some of those different variables that can give you a better accurate representation of what the implementation time, cost, and resource commitments are going to be. This phase two, also during the implementation planning, also gives you a better idea of what the risks are. So now you can start to get your handle on what the risks are and how we're going to mitigate those risks and really start to attack those risks from a risk mitigation perspective. So these are just some ways to figure out how you can convert a proposed implementation plan that might be completely inaccurate, somewhat of a guess, and overly optimistic into one that's more realistic and more suited for you as an organization. All right, so hopefully that's provided you some guidance and some things to think about as you define your implementation plan and your overall digital transformation plan. As I mentioned, every organization looks different. Every organization's implementation plan and digital transformation strategy should also look different, and it should be tailored to fit the needs of your organization and who you are. Uh, the last thing you want to do is go through a project where you have an overly aggressive implementation plan that just never made sense to begin with, but somehow someone convinced you that it somehow did make sense, and vice versa. You don't want to go too slow either. If you're a, an aggressive organization, you have a high risk tolerance, you have a culture of innovation and change, maybe you can be more aggressive. So you really just need to take those things into account, and quite frankly, I think that's a problem in the industry today, and a problem with why so many projects fail is because people don't have realistic expectations. And those unrealistic expectations are typically what lead to problems later on. It leads to change management issues. It leads to a false compression of, of activity in an in a arbitrary amount of time. It just leads to cutting corners. People end up cutting corners later on because now they have to try and force fit an implementation into an artificially compressed period of time. So you really want to make sure you have a realistic plan to begin with. And if you want to brainstorm ideas related to your transformation, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to be a sounding board for you, and so is my team. Even if it's informal, even if you're not hiring third stage formally, I'd be happy to chat with you about how you can tailor your digital transformation plan, your implementation plan to fit your specific needs in your situation. So I hope that video, though, gets you started, gets the wheels turning and, and thinking about what you can be doing differently. So uh, that's all we've got here for you today. Another epic episode, a lot of content covered here today. Uh, new episodes every Wednesday. Next week, uh, we'll have a, a really... Uh, interesting uh, set of guests. Um, we've got a number of different topics we'll cover in, in the coming weeks as well. So be sure to stick around. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms. So I hope you all have a great week and enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Take care. And uh, cut. Hey, Cassie, can you hear me okay? Is my audio okay? Psych, I'm 
recorded, so you can respond all you want, and I won't respond to you because I don't know what you're going to say. So we'll try it again without the uh, mess up there. Bad dad joke. I thought you might appreciate that in your editing process here.